Well, it's wonderful to be with you again, and we are going over our Sunday school lesson for Graceway Baptist Church for November 22nd of 2020. And uh, man, this year is just about gone. Did it seem to you like back when the quarantine first started and things were shut down that uh, somebody said that April, you know, that, that first 150 days of April were really bad? Uh, that's kind of the way it seemed. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of sped up. And I don't know, it has to do with maybe things reopening and the election and um, I don't know, all kinds of things. But here we are now, just uh, very close to Thanksgiving. And I want to take this time to express my thanks for you. And I appreciate your support and your prayers. Your giving has been uh, wonderful during all of this time. I pray that uh, if you are not comfortable with um, attending and worshiping with us, that you'll get to that point. I know some of you can't and some of you shouldn't. And there's no shame or judgment in any of that other than a pastor's heart uh, saying this. I just wish we could all be together again. And so uh, I look forward to that. And um, as you think about Thanksgiving and things that you can be thankful for, let's watch ourselves. Okay? It's going to be easy for us to be negative. There's been a lot about 2020 that has not been good and has not been really positive. But let's not forget about the goodness of God, the grace of God, the power of God. Let's think about people not just that have been sick, and we certainly want to pray for them and minister to them, but let's think about people that have gotten well. And uh, I know for a couple of weeks I was pretty sick and really thought uh, that I would probably end up in the hospital and by the grace of God, I didn't. I've never been that sick in my life. And yet here I am today and uh, having, you know, no ill effects from any of that. And I'm not the only one. I'm one of a lot of people. You say, did you have COVID? I have no idea. I tested negative for it a couple of times. And yet my doctor treated me like I had it. So I don't know. But nevertheless, here I am. And a lot of us can have that same testimony about a lot of things. Think about some of you that have been through uh, procedures now where your heart is functioning properly when uh, if it had not been for the intervention of God and of medical science, that type of thing, you wouldn't be here now or your life would be severely limited. Think about some of the people that you know that have been through uh, uh, cancer and chemotherapy and radiation and yet now they're cancer-free and, and doing well. Think about those kind of things. Think about what it was like during this uh, October ice storm when power went out for so many people, what if that was the norm rather than the exception? What if you were to think about the uh, times back in the early part of this pandemic? It's so weird to go into stores and see just empty shelves, you know, the toilet paper shortage. But it wasn't just that. Remember all of the things that you just couldn't get and you couldn't find. What if that were normal and not the exception? I want you to think about uh, maybe you're not happy with the results of the election. But at the same time, how much of your life is going to change? 
Because probably regardless of any of that, we're still going to eat and we're still going to have gas for our cars. And, and, and maybe it's not as easy as it was or maybe it's better than it was. I don't know. Uh, but think about all of it. We can get all wrapped up about things instead of rejoicing in what we have. And when you think about your church family, you've got people who love you. You've got people who pray for you. You've got people who've ministered to you. You've got a church where you can come together and we can hear the word of God and we can sing good quality songs. And we're going to enjoy a Lord's Supper service on the, I believe it's the 20th of December. And uh, we're also going to enjoy a Christmas musical and uh, your choir and Brother Dale and the orchestra. They've been working so hard on all of this. And you know it's going to be good quality stuff. There's a lot to be thankful for. You can be thankful for your family. You can be thankful for your children and your grandchildren. And let's just stop and thank the Lord for all of the good things that he's brought into our lives. And so, Heavenly Father, as we take a look into your word today for this Sunday school lesson, help us to think that when you command us to give thanks in all things, you not only command us to do that, but you give us so many things to be thankful for, none the least of which, thank you for the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord and all of the benefits you put into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that. And I pray that you'll take that uh, exhortation. Now, we're going to uh, look at another aspect of this prayer in John 17. There's something that Jesus brings up. And so go to John chapter 17, verse 20. Okay, And I know we're kind of recycling these verses, but there are different things we want to bring out. Last week we looked at the security of the believer. Look at verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Also for those who will believe. That's future. That's you and me. Jesus was praying for you when he was in the garden there before he went to the cross. And he prays that they all may be one. Uh, he seems to know us better than we know ourselves. We have a tendency to divide and uh, pull apart and pull away and break fellowship and all of that. Uh, and how are we to be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Now, we may have trouble getting together politically or philosophically or economically, but we can be one in the Lord, can't we? And why do we do that? That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. Have you ever thought about that? He has given you his glory. How did he give you and me? How did he give us his glory? Well, he gave us his glory by giving us himself. God lives within you. Oh, well, it's not really God. It's just the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not third string. He's not just coming off of the bench and coming into you, but the real God is sitting on the throne. No, he's the real God, co-equal in nature and attributes, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he is living in you, so you have the glory of God in you everywhere that you go. He's given that 
to you. And that's to bring us unity. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect. And that word perfect uh, is not like we think of as perfection. It's talking about completeness or maturity. Okay? That we may be made complete or mature in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me. Our unity and our spiritual maturity and the glory that we have within us, all of that is done so that we can be a testimony to the world. And that's why church fights and church splits and believers that can't get along, even when we're talking about a, a Christian marriage where a divorce takes place, I'm not throwing rocks or stones at anybody because I know sometimes it, there's just no other way out of it. But I do think we all realize that hurts the cause of Christ. It makes it more difficult for our children to believe and to be followers of Jesus because they didn't see that example. And marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. They just don't see it. And the world sees it in the same way. We've got to be able to uh, in our family and in our church relationships to be able to get along. It affects our testimony that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Did you know that God the Father loves you like he loves his own son? I don't always feel that. And I know I'm... Uh, Sometimes I'll say, well, I'm just not worthy of all of that. When have I ever been worthy? I've never been worthy of the love of God, and neither have you. I've never been worthy to pray. I've never been worthy to preach. I've never been worthy to witness to anyone. Never, ever, ever. It's not about my worthiness. See, the key is I have a Savior who is worthy, and he went to the cross for me. He paid for all of my sins. He made me acceptable to God. He has given me his spirit, his life, eternal life. And so now, all of this happens because of him. It's all about him. And we forget that, don't we? So when Jesus talks about this, the uh, first emphasis we made out of these verses was that there are going to be people who believe in Christ through the word of those disciples that he was praying for in the garden. And it's going to be this unending, unbroken chain, generation after generation after generation after generation. And we've seen that. That's why we're talking about it now in the year 2020. Now, you say, oh, boy, those first apostles, boy, weren't they something? <laughs> Yeah, they were asleep while Jesus is praying this. They don't get it, and they don't care. It's not going to be long that they're going to be taking off and hiding. One of them is actually going to be denying the Lord. I mean, what a, what a group, what a crew. And it doesn't sound anything like the prayer of Jesus. But then there's a day coming after the ascension of Christ on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the Bible says in Acts 2, that they're gathered and they're praying and the Holy Spirit descends upon them. And what happens? Then the one who denied the Lord before a young girl is now going to stand up with boldness and preach the gospel in a very convicting way 
and 3,000 are going to be saved. And that starts the multiplication process uh, that Jesus is talking about here. So our theme is going to be discipleship. Now, perfect people are not called to be disciples, obviously. But imperfect people like Peter and James and John and uh, you name all of them if you can. And uh, people like you and people like me. Because the goal is not to magnify the disciple, but the goal is to magnify the God of the disciple and the Holy Spirit that lives within the disciples and the perfect word that is given to the disciples to disseminate to the church and also the gospel out into the world. And so as we think about what it is that Jesus is actually praying for this unbroken chain that is actually the command and the purpose for our lives, for our church, for uh, everything that we do. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples, discipleship. Make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So think about this. What happens and how does this take place? Well, it starts like this. There is a day when we believe. I can't be a disciple until I become a child of God. At salvation, every believer, you, me, all of us, we become a disciple. And a disciple is a committed follower and a devoted learner. Mathetes is the word in the Greek. And it has to do with someone, uh, they would, in the days of Jesus, they would follow a leader and uh, they would learn from him and spend time with him and absorb his teachings and philosophies and all of that. What Jesus did in his day with his disciples, that wasn't weird. That wasn't unknown. A lot of rabbis did that. And a lot of people had their, their followers and they had their groups that would follow them and learn from them. And uh, Jesus was the only one that was the son of God and uh, perfect and righteous in everything that he did. And the disciples were everything that Jesus was not. They were imperfect. They were unrighteous. I mean, how many times do we find them? There they are in the presence of the creator of the universe, king of kings and lord of lords, the son of David, the son of God. And what are they doing? They're arguing about who's the greatest. Well, obviously, any greatness that they might have, if you're the best of that ragtag group of disciples, you fall far short of the greatness of the king who is leading you. And that shouldn't even be a discussion, should it? But how many times did it come up? How many times did Jesus give them truth and the only response they have when he tells them, I'm going to go, I'm going to die, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be beaten, got it out of order, didn't I? I'm going to die and then be raised again. And then two disciples go, oh, goody, can we sit at your right hand and at your left? And they don't even have any compassion for what he's going through or comprehend what he's talking about. I mean, what a group of losers, right? In fact, even after the denial of 
Jesus by the apostle Peter. And even after the resurrection, Peter just kind of says, I'm done. I'm going fishing. And he didn't mean I'm just going to go relax on a creek bank, bank somewhere. He meant I'm going back to my former profession. And uh, I mean, th these guys are just a mess in so many ways. And uh, when the Lord Jesus tells them at the Last Supper, one of you is going to betray me, they didn't even get that it was Judas. They're all thinking uh, Judas is one of the very best among them. They would see themselves as being guilty of that before they ever would have Judas. In other words, they just didn't get it at all. They didn't get anything out of this. And yet Jesus is praying for them because he says to the Father, there are going to be people who believe in me because of their word. Well, see, if all I knew was the story up to the point of John 17, I would have said, uh, Lord, you're sadly mistaken here. You're delusional about all of this. This movement is never going to make it if it's placed into the hands of these guys. But it's amazing how... As I've heard old-time preachers say, God can take a crooked stick and hit a straight lick with it, can't he? I, I think about how God takes imperfect people and he uses them in extraordinary ways. Because this is not about extraordinary people. It's about ordinary people in the hands of an extraordinary God. And this is what is happening here. We believe and we become the disciple. And I want you to think about the fact that we are to be devoted learners, devoted followers of Jesus Christ. When does that happen? Well, I think I've always been that way. No, you weren't. Everybody gets saved at a specific place or time. You have a place to where you were lost and now you're saved. You have a place to where you didn't believe and now you do believe and you've committed yourself at least to that belief. Now, when I was four years old, my dad has told me before that I could tell you the gospel better than he could when he was 20. But it wasn't a saving work yet. I'm sure it contributed because the word never returns void. But there came a point in time when I was 22 when I committed myself to what I believe. Before it had just been something that I, I believed, but I wasn't really committed to it. Now I was under conviction. I knew that I was a sinner and I committed myself to Jesus Christ, trusting that his death on the cross was the full payment for my sin. And I confessed him and surrendered to him as Lord. Didn't understand all of it. And I understand the gospel better now at 60 than I did when I was 22. But nonetheless, that's when it happened. There was a specific place and time. Have you been born again? Do you have a definite time? Now, I didn't ask you about a definite date. That's not ever emphasized in the Bible. I heard a preacher say one time, if you don't know the date and the circumstances and you've never been saved because you couldn't meet Jesus and, you know, without doing that and whatever. Except the Bible never tells us, confirm your salvation by looking back, even though that happened. There was a time when you were lost and a time you got saved. You may not remember the date, but you know what happened. You know what the Bible always tells us to do to confirm our salvation? You look at now. 
What are you trusting in now? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour, the old hymn says. And they're right. Are you showing the fruit of the Spirit now in your life? Are you growing and advancing in your love for Christ and knowledge of Jesus now? If not, if not, then you may need to go back and read the book of First John and you need to make your calling and election sure. Um, this is something that is so important because a lot of people kind of had the idea, well, I was raised in a Christian home and I was raised in church. I was sprinkled when I was a little baby and I was, uh, you know, went through a class where I was confirmed and I was, you know, pronounced a Christian and proclaimed a part of the body of Christ and all of that. And uh, here's what I would say. But have you been born again? Have you trusted in the gospel? Did the Holy Spirit come to live in your life? Do you show evidence of the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit? Because Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 8, If anyone has not the Spirit of Christ... He is none of his. In other words, you're not saved until that time when the Holy Spirit comes to live within you at the point of salvation. That all sinners on the gospel and the sacrifice of Christ and the lordship of Jesus. Okay? You've got to be a believer and you have to put your faith and trust in Christ. Okay? What happens after we do that? Well, we just sit around, live any way we want. And then go to heaven when we die. Uh, salvation is not just missing hell and going to heaven. Salvation is that you grow and you mature in Christ. Just as in physical growth, in the physical life, babies have to grow. In fact, the Lord Jesus, after he was born, it's written in Luke chapter 2, that famous Christmas passage we always read. Um, and yet we almost never get down to verse 52. It's too long. But listen to it. And Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and man. I mean, he grew physically. He grew intellectually. He grew socially. And he grew spiritually, didn't he? All of those four things. And you need that as well. You need to be well balanced. And you need to grow in all of those areas. And yet so many times we find our children, we want them to grow intellectually, but we, you know, well, the spiritual thing, well, that'll take care of itself. That's not a sound way to parent, is it? And some people will teach their children all kinds of things about the Bible, but they never advance socially. They don't learn how to get along with other people. They don't learn how to share. They don't learn how to love. They don't learn how to put others first. Well, you remember Jesus said the great commandment is loving God, but it's also loving your neighbor. The two things go together. And so we find this perfect man, Jesus, growing in those four areas. That's how you need to grow too. And God is putting you through the paces to teach you in every one of those areas. And it may be that you've got a real mind for biblical doctrine, but you don't know how to get along with people. Or you're not taking care of the body that God has given you to the degree that you ought to. And you can get out of whack and out of balance with all kinds of things. You may be the person that you've got a scripture for everything, and yet you don't really know how to um, be a blessing to other people. I had a friend one time that uh, 
I needed to talk to him and he was having his quiet time and he about bit my head off because I interrupted him. Um, there are things we need to learn and so God is teaching you and you are growing and it's all for a purpose. And we learn in different ways and we learn at different paces and God knows how we do that. So we learn and we're disciplined and we become wise and we learn to eat solid food, not just the milk. And we begin to grow and things begin to change and opportunities open up for us. And we begin to see our spiritual giftedness and how to use that. And we learn to stand kind of um, uh, um, on our own two feet. And I don't mean that in self-sufficiency. I just mean we learn to be who God has made us to be and to walk in his power and not just simply copycat everybody else. That's a part of growing in the Lord Jesus. And then what happens to grown-ups? Well, in the spiritual life, just like in the physical life, when you grow up, you have a drive to reproduce New believers are spiritual babies. And in fact, when Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1, and also in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he'll identify this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the command of God our Savior and of Jesus Christ our hope. And then he'll say to Timothy, and he'll call him like my child or my true child in the faith or something like that. I want to ask you a question. You've been saved for a long time. You got any kids? You've been saved for a long time. You know the word of God. You got any kids? Who, who are you discipling? Who is in the kingdom of God through your witness, through your um, um, testimony, through your experience? Are you reproducing yourself? That's what the Bible calls us to do. So we lead them to Christ. And we become examples to them and we share spiritual truth with them and we teach them to love Jesus, to love Jesus more than anything else. And we also teach them to feed themselves and also, it's kind of gross when you think about it, but it's true, we teach them to clean up after themselves. When you uh, look around at a little baby and they're uh, newborn and they're wearing a diaper, it's kind of gross. And yet, what do you do? You put up with it because they don't know that they made a mess. They don't know that they stink. And they don't know that the little kid over there in the crib next to them in the nursery, that he's messed himself and that he stinks either. That's the nature of being babies. And when you get a church full of babies, you know what? They don't know that they stink. And they don't know that anyone else stinks because they just can't tell the difference. But it is through growing and it is as they learn to, you know, potty training and they learn how to feed themselves. They learn how to use a fork and a spoon. They learn how to use good manners. They learn how to clean up after themselves. They learn how to put things away. And they begin to grow up and they learn how to be good stewards of uh, themselves and the stuff that they have. Think about all of this. You went through it. You raised your children like that. God's children have to go through these kind of things too. And so my hope is that you have and that you are and that you're learning. But uh, this is all a part of it. And this is what we are to help them to do. How are you doing on any of that? This is where we lovingly correct them. And we're patient with them as they grow. 
whether they stumble or whether they do well, we're patient with them. And this requires spending time with them, which is why one of the reasons why the devil attacks fellowship so often in churches and in personal relationships. And this is why the Bible emphasizes it so much. You love God and you love your neighbor. And Jesus said, these two things really are the summation of the law and the prophets. Paul even said in the book of Romans, listen, you take care of crime, you take care of sexual immorality and all of that kind of stuff if you just love your neighbor. See, if you love your neighbor, you don't covet what they have. If you love your neighbor, you don't, you're, you don't steal from them. You're happy for them. If you love your neighbor, you don't commit adultery with them. Any person, whether it's a man or a woman that lives in sexual immorality, that is an advertisement. I don't love anybody but me. And so if it's a teenager or whether it's a married person that has an affair with somebody else, whether it's somebody that is involved in pornography or any, anything else, child abuse or anything, that is a, a tag. I don't love anybody but me. But if you get them to love God, and to love their neighbor, all of a sudden these things are taken care of. I can't do that. I can't think like that. I can't act like that because I love them and I love God the way that I ought to. Now this is what we have to teach our children. We get this in the physical realm and this is what God is teaching his spiritual children in the realm. We got to grow up. And when we grow up, we put aside petty things. When we grow up, we put aside immorality. When we grow up, we put aside our personal rights. When we grow up, we honor and esteem other people. You know, in the book of Romans, Paul said, we are in honor to give preference to one another. And babies, you know what they do? Little kids, you, you, you do this with your children. Now you share that with, with him. And they go, okay. And then they throw it over to him. Or they stick their lip out. Or they pout. Or they cry. They may do it. But they don't do it with honor. They do it because they're forced. And a lot of people in church... They will act a certain way because it is socially acceptable and because it is religiously expected of them, but they're not mature enough to prefer other people or to yield to other people with honor. I love you so much, and you're such a blessing to my life. I will gladly let you have the solo in the choir. I love you so much, and I'm so glad that God is using you. I will gladly yield this class to you or this teacher but you know what we do stick our fingers in our mouth and go over and pout and we kick and we cry and we complain and we gripe and we sow seeds of discord and you know what the bible says that god thinks about people who sow seeds of discord among brethren i mean think about all of that whether it's wearing a mask in church that's what we've asked you to do it's not that big a deal you can be a baby and pat about it. You can defy it or do something like that. Or you can just simply say, hey, it's not a big deal. And in honor, you give preference to others because to some people, you wearing a mask is really important and might even make the difference of whether they come to church or not. Let me ask you a question. Do you love them enough to wear a mask that may be doing nothing except make another person feel comfortable in church? Ouch. Because I just stung a lot of you that think and would consider yourself to be a mature Christian and yet that one issue trips you up. What's wrong with us? 
What's the deal? We've got to grow up, and we've got to grow up into Christ, and we've got to learn to honor and to prefer one another. And so we've got to reproduce. And so this is what Jesus did. And this is the process that Paul described in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So 500 years from now, someone should be able to trace their spiritual lineage, their heritage back to you. Every believer ought to have that kind of legacy in 500 years if the Lord doesn't return, of course. And multiplication is how the Great Commission is carried out. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added, added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I'd be pretty happy with that, wouldn't you? Except it didn't stay there. In Acts chapter 6 verse 1. Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying. You know when you go from addition to multiplication. Man that is big. And in Acts chapter 6 verse 7. Just a few verses later. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly. In Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Added, multiplied, multiplied greatly. That's the way it's supposed to take place. Why? Because every believer, not just the pastor, not just the staff, not just elders, not just deacons. Well, I'd almost settle for that. But every member of the church is supposed to be reproducing themselves. So you got to believe, and then you got to grow, and then you got to reproduce yourself. And through that, the church begins to multiply. It's not about an entertainment center. Come to our church. We've got the best music in the world. I hope we do, but that's irrelevant, isn't it? Come to our church. Man, our preacher, oh, man, he can entertain like nobody's business. Is that the preacher's job? Is that the way it's supposed to be? Come to our church. Man, we've got the best programs you've ever seen. Do you see that in the book of Acts? Or do you see it to where each individual believer, each follower of Christ became a disciple and then they were used to bring other people into the family of God to become disciples and then they taught them to grow up and the number of disciples began to multiply. So if one Christian started out today and reproduced themselves, leading one person to the Lord and then the next year, those two would lead someone to the Lord. Then you have four. And if those four would lead someone to the Lord and disciple them, then you're going to have, I mean, it just goes on, 8 and 16 and 32. I mean, in 30 years, 35 years or 38 years, I don't remember what it is, you've reached about 7 to 8 billion people on the face of the earth. God has given us a way to carry out the Great Commission and if we did that, uh, oh, I've got it written down here. In 32 years, in 32 years, there would be 8 billion people that would be reached with the gospel of Christ. Now, I know that's a big if. That's if everybody does that. And if we all carry it out, 
And yet at the same time, all I want you to see is the possibility of making disciples all around the world. God did not give us an impossible task. The problem is, we as his children, we want to stay babies. We want somebody else taking care of us. We want to sit and have everything done for us. And we don't really think about becoming adults and reproducing. We don't really think about being soldiers in the kingdom of God. We don't really think about growing up and becoming servants of God and servants of other people. And yet that's what we're called to do. And that's what Jesus prayed for. Are you living in answer to the prayer of Jesus? That's the plan. That's the way it works. And there is no substitute. There is no plan B. There is no alternative. And there's certainly not a better way. Let's do it the way that Jesus commanded us to do. Let's go and let's make disciples for the glory of God. Thank you so much for your time. And I pray that uh, you teachers who are listening to this, may the Lord bless you as you communicate this. And my prayer is that you'll be a part of this because this is what Jesus wants. And for those of you who are watching this, I'm sorry you had to miss Sunday school, but I'm so glad you got to be a part of what we're studying because we want you to be involved in the most thrilling and wonderful thing that you could ever be involved in, being a disciple of Christ and being a disciple maker for someone else. So thank you and may the Lord bless you. And I really, really love you and appreciate your time.